Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Arsblog 20 podcast series in which we celebrate 20 years of Arsblog by talking to a guest about a calendar year of the site's existence between 2002 and 2022. In this episode, we're talking 2008 and my guest is Andrew Allen. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm trying to figure out if we'd um, cross paths by 2008, and I don't think we had. I'm not sure. I, I feel like the first contact we had... I think it was about 2010, maybe, a little bit later. Yeah, I, I feel like Andre Arshavin's agent was somehow involved in this. That's right. Yeah, actually, it was probably 2009. You're right, yeah. Mm. There you go. I mean, I don't know that it's a particularly interesting story regarding Andre Arshavin's agent and how he came about, but you were working for <laughs> sport.co.uk at the time, and there was, yeah, yeah right. pitching stories, I think. It was the start of life as a, an attempted sports journalist. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't there yet at the start of 2008, that's for sure. I think I was still working in the art world in an archive, kind of right. keeping my head down, trying to make use of a degree, which... Um, I don't think anyone was ever going to make use of. So, um, yeah, but um, now it was interesting just sort of just before we came on air, you were talking about, I asked who'd done the 2007 episode and you said, Jim, yeah. I can kind of imagine Jim full of hope, expectation. Well, then, yeah, that that's where we were. We sort of finished 2007 with the, with the uh, top of the table, young swashbuckling Arsenal team going pretty well. And, well, I don't know where exactly you want to start with this one because we are going to pick out a few things from 2008. So it's it's up to everyone how they want to do it, if they want to go through the year chronologically or however it works for you. But let's go. Where are you going to take us first? I think, I think 2008 has to come. Well, I think we have to take things chronologically just because so much happens early doors. Mm. Um, and, and more than anything, obviously, yeah, we came into the year, we were just an unbelievable form. You know, I think at the end of 2007, we'd won what, like, well, we'd, we'd only lost once in something like 21 games or something. Mm. And, you know, we were looking good. It was an era full of hope and expectation. And and then and then sort of February hit. And it, it I can't, there's not been a more traumatic game for me, I don't think, in the entire time that I've been supporting Arsenal than that Eduardo leg break game at at Birmingham City. Um, yeah. There was just, there was something about that day, and I don't know what it is. I mean, 
I knew the moment that game finished, everything about it, I knew that our season there and then was not going to take the trajectory that we all hoped it was. You know, We were still top of the league at the end of this game. So this was a game that we drew 2-2 mm. against Birmingham. But the result doesn't really tell you the full story. It was Eduardo broke his leg in that horrific challenge. Um, and after that, the game kind of settled into this weird... Um, kind of there was a weird mood kind of you know behind all of it mm. um and 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 somehow we battled back from being one nil down went two one ahead walcott scored a couple of goals again there you were you like this sense of like expectation or the rest of it and and it it all fell apart again in the last second and there was the the cliche penalty that was given which really was never a penalty no the william gallas strop which um kind of for me signaled the sort of starting gun on the banter era i guess i genuinely believe that moment Mm. was kind of this is where we're going and everything about that result the two drop points were annoying the way we dropped the points was annoying but honestly the fact that we lost a striker in eduardo who was just superb at that point he was, I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, at that point, like he just had a six week period at the start of the year where I think Arsenal fans were suddenly getting to realise that every time you put this player through on goal, he was going to score you a goal. And I was just sort of, I'd fallen in love with the guy really, really quickly, yeah. fallen really, really hard. And he was just, he was just very, very impressive. And and that leg break, everything about it, I mean, it killed us. It psychologically damaged that squad. It really was a a crazy game because, you know, when the opposition are down to 10 men after three minutes, and that's how early in this game that horrendous challenge by Martin Taylor on Eduardo was, and, you know, the injury was sickening. It was one of those where they wouldn't show it on TV. And somehow we go a goal behind, we get ahead. As you say, there was the the, the late equaliser. Am I wrong to remember the this was the game when... Adi Bayor should have squared it for Bentner. Was that this game? Uh, I think that I think it might have been. I mean, we definitely were. And they they sort of had the a fa- scrap, didn't they? they? Yeah, there was an iron. Yeah. I mean, it was just. I just. I just remember it, but it was a, just a really high emotion game, and 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 also just being really important because we were top of the league. We were kind of setting the pace, and this young squad hadn't really kind of had to come overcome much adversity at that point. You know, we'd lost one game mm. to Middlesbrough, I think, in the league. And there was just so much about the, the everything that happened. Losing a player, the the the, the, the obvious frustration at the, the terrible refereeing decision to give the penalty. The fact that our fucking captain went absolutely mad on the pitch, you know, sitting down uh, in the centre circle mm. at full time you know, immediately becoming a complete laughing stock to the entire, you know, football fraternity. Um, all of it, all of it just sort of suddenly kind of created this weird atmosphere around the club. And I knew, I, I remember distinctly having to go and have a lie down. I lay down <laughs> on the floor of my bedroom at the end of that game. And I was almost hyperventilating because I was just thinking to myself, we really fucked it here. And or I it has put my finger on it has been what fucked it was. for us or it has been fucked for us yeah. yeah everything about it i just knew and honestly i that 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 one game killed our season um because after that you know we went into a a, a, a terrible run um you know we had um what was it 
three further draws, I think it was. We we drew one all to Aston Villa. We drew nil nil to Wigan. Sorry, yeah, we drew nil nil with Wigan. We drew one all with Middlesbrough. So we had this terrible run off the back of that, mm. and then lost to Chelsea. Yeah. And in those four games after the Birmingham one, that was it. Season was over. It, it was it was a mad time. And I'll tell you, I remember that game very well because I know exactly where I was when I was watching it. And I was in a bar in Dublin called The Foggy Jew. Um, and it, it, it was a meeting that I was having with the guy who owned Ole Ole, who at that time was coming over to, to try and convince me to sell Arsblog to them and to, you know, be part of this Ole Ole thing. And, you know, we met there to watch that game and, uh, fuck, I guess it was portentous in a way, like, you know, something like that happened. And the Ole 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 thing was fine for those who remember it. Um, You know, it went okay for a couple of years and then went really wrong and it was a bit of a fucking disaster. So maybe there was something to read into it. But, but, you know, leading up to that game, there was an FA Cup game at Old Trafford where we were beaten 4-0 by Manchester United. Mm. I think it was the game where... Could have been Nanny did his juggling and Flamini took him out or at least tried to. And, you know, there was some weird results in and around that as well because um, we were also in the Champions League. And like you said, the the initial um, reaction to the Birmingham game was a, a draw with Villa. Um, we draw nil-nil at home with AC Milan in the Champions League. And then... We went and beat AC Milan 2-0 away from home. That that amazing Fabregas goal, if you remember that moment when he scored and ran over and everything else. But but then you come back 0-0 with Wigan, 1-1 with Middlesbrough. And you're right, I think that 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 game just derailed us so badly. We couldn't get back on it. There were moments, there were some games where we did. Obviously, there was a, another game against Bolton where we were... We were down to 10 men as well and, and came back to win it 3-2, a Fabregas goal. And, you know, we, we, we tried, we really tried, but it it had such a, a psychological impact on that squad, didn't it? Yeah, I have to say, I mean, you know, I, I had down as like the two most memorable wins of the season were definitely that, that San Siro uh, mm. trip, uh, which was, I mean, we, it was one of those away games where, you know, the, the, the stats come out, you know, no English side has ever won in the San Siro. And obviously, AC Milan had, had, had a nil-nil at the Emirates, so that put them in a, a pretty decent position. Mm. And we just went there and absolutely destroyed them. We were brilliant. You know, we were really, really good that night. Um, you know, I think uh, Diaby had a really good goal uh, game. Sorry, uh, Fabregas was, was excellent and obviously grabbed that incredible strike at the end. Um the celebration of which is kind of burned onto my retina because you can just see the sort of sheer angry joy in his face, the kind of like emotion of it all as he kind of runs over towards the bench. And I think, um, you know, layman's on the, on the touchline amongst many others who kind of just sort of Mm. envelop in a massive big hug. I mean, that was just, um, that was just a superb night. And it's those kind of moments when you, you know, I went back and I started watching this kind of season review highlights and stuff. And you kind of think, God, you know, football really is about moments sometimes. It's not always about the kind of the winning, the the, the big stuff, because some moments like that, mm. you just remember, like you just don't remember anything else. And I mean, I could tell you exactly where I was the day of the, the, the Bolton game when we were 2-0 down and Diaby had been sent off. And, mm. um, you know, in the midst of a, a very bad run, there was a result which suddenly gave us just a smidgen of hope that we might be able to still keep up in the in the title race. I mean, you know, Bolton had 
just so traditionally been such a pain in the ass for us as well. And in the pouring rain, there we were yeah. edging our way back into the game and then to sort of score such a ridiculously scrappy goal in stoppage time. And I, I was watching, I think, you know, this was a time when you couldn't really stream games. So if it wasn't on TV, and I think it was a Saturday 3 p.m. kickoff, mm. I was watching Soccer Saturday and you're kind of sitting there sort of radio in one ear waiting for the, you know, <laughs> potentially the first reaction to be a kind of Jeff Stelling, someone's groaning in the background kind of situation. Yeah. And, um, and, and I just went absolutely spare. I drank, I think, most of a bottle of Jack Daniels in celebration after that game. <laughs> I had a, an amazing night. Um, uh, it was a big house party, a bunch of friends, and I just spent the entire evening just jumping around, sort of saying we beat Bolton 3-2 from 10 men, uh, within 10 men. <laughs> so, yeah, there were just sort of moments when you, you kind of think, oh, okay, you know, it was, you know, I, I, I honestly, watching watching the highlights back of all of this, some of the football that we played, in, in that season. I mean, obviously the, the start when, you know, Jim's 2007, I mean, what that first 15, 20 games of the season were just, we were majestic, like mm. the passing the movement and you watch the highlights and the goals now and you just think, Jesus, why, do, why do we make football look so difficult at the moment? Um, and we still seem to have a bit of a kind of psychological edge over a lot of sides, you know, people, you know, teams would turn up at the Emirates and you just expect them to get rolled over. Mm. Um, and we really were, very very good even in 2008 i mean we only lost two games on the the wrong side of christmas as it were in the running but that was enough for us to kind of be out of the time we won we lost three games in the entire season um in in sorry in the league only uh obviously but mm-hmm. i mean it really was a, a a very decent effort but those few games kind of when we drew after the birmingham game were kind of that was the difference and yeah. and 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 i don't think we've ever really come so close to winning the league ever again. I know we came second to to Leicester in 2015-16, but but really that was the start of something that we thought was going to be quite special. Yeah. But actually turned out to be the start of the the end really because I don't think we've ever really been as close ever again and um you know after that city sort of sort of came into the mix and United was still very strong under Fergie for a few years and Abramovich continued to kind of tighten his grip uh, on, on Chelsea. And yeah, I just, I just remember 2008 as being a superbly painful, a superbly painful year and, and nothing more so than that Champions League exit to, to Liverpool. Which... Um, yeah. Well, I mean, we'll come on to it, but I just on the point, I think I said to Jim that it was something of a, a sliding doors moment for the team, you know, th- that which was inflicted upon them. Um, and, and we have to remember it was the second one. It was the second big injury um, inflicted upon an Arsenal player due to a horrendous challenge because Diaby had been done um, mm. not long after he had arrived at the end of that season, 2006 um, season, uh, 2005, 2006. And subsequently, of course, Aaron Ramsey uh, would suffer an injury as well. Um, But, uh, you know, I think there was something to the idea that when things were going well with this young team, and it was a fairly young team, and there were some experienced players in there, that when it was going well, when it was sort of motoring, it was it was like self propulsion or whatever it was. But when we needed a bit more, when we needed a bit of experience, a bit of leadership, it wasn't there. Like Gallus, the strop on the pitch, of course, is is a very obvious um, example of of like his 
poor leadership. But I remember, um, as we get to this Liverpool thing, I remember some comments from him after the Liverpool game where he was saying, well, it's been really difficult, but, you know, we probably did more than people thought and we're all feeling a bit low now, blah, blah, blah. And you're going like, where is the... Where is the guy to stand up and rally the troops? Like, if there was ever a fair weather captain, it was it was William Gallas. I think I think one of the one of the biggest mistakes that Arsene Wenger ever made as Arsenal manager was appointing Gallas as captain when he had Gilberto Silva there yeah. in the squad. Yeah, and Gilberto, who had basically captained the side the year before because Henri was so injured, and it was the first season of the Emirates, and and was integral to things, had gone off to the Copper America, hadn't he, before the season began? And mm. he was away winning the Copper America with Brazil when he found out while he was away that Gallas had been, you know, given the captain's armband. And on and the Gallas, on the website, wasn't it? Didn't isn't that yeah. how it happened? He, he yeah. saw it on the Arsenal website. I mean, which is a very kind of like on Arsene Wenger thing to happen, you know, mm. during his his watch. And I remember everyone being a bit disconcerted by that and and Gallus never really at any point won the Arsenal fans over but again you know going back to that Birmingham game that was the the line in the sand when he kind of really lost everybody's yeah. respect you know and I think he probably lost a lot of his teammates respect and it to be fair by the end of the year he wasn't Arsenal captain any longer mm. and I don't think that was any surprise to anybody at all no um but yeah I mean that was a that was a really really odd decision and and you're right because with such a young squad you sense that there needed to be someone of some sort of sense of standing and I get it you know Gallas had won a lot at Chelsea um, and he was a a, a decent centre-back but as a personality he was hardly the most um, stable I mean in in many respects you know the Arsenal captaincy has been has been has been poisoned ever since, really, hasn't it? I mean, you could argue it started with Vieira leaving and, and Henri leaving, and, and then Gallas and taking it and leaving, and Fabregas leaving. Van Persie, but and Van Persie. I mean, it was just a, a constant stream of people taking it and leaving. But yeah, he was he was he was a he was a really not not a good choice. No. Um. um yeah, I mean, I I I don't know where you really want to go next, but what? for me, really, that that end of season period is just is that Liverpool game. Everything yeah. about that Liverpool game in the Champions League. Well, we played Liverpool three in times in well. six days. Yeah. We played them in the Champions League on the 2nd of April, in the Premier League on the 5th of April, and then again in the Champions League on the 8th of April. Um, it was 1-1 in the first leg. The second leg was... Um, th- this was the the Adebayor goal with the Theo Walcott run. and. Oh, yeah. And then immediately, Liverpool were given a penalty, and I to this day I think it's one of the the most ridiculous penalty decisions I've ever seen. This this was a season which was defined. I know it sounds funny because you know here we are complaining about referees in twenty twenty two, but this was a season that was defined by terrible refereeing mm. mistakes, and it wasn't just in the Premier League because obviously I've talked about the Birmingham one and the, the foul that Cleese gave away, which was definitely not a foul. But the one-one at the Emirates in the first leg of this Liverpool game, quite uh, should have been penalised for pulling down yes, Alex Kleb. That's right. And it was just the most ridiculous one hundred percent penalty there ever was, and it wasn't given. Mm. And then I remember being there at the stadium, and the crowd was so incensed by what had happened that everybody at the Emirates at a time when the Emirates was really not a, a, a rowdy place. 
whistled pretty much for the rest of the game to the point where the game just fizzled out. Like Liverpool didn't really know what to do. I've never seen a crowd, an Arsenal crowd, have so much of a, a sort of deliberately negative influence on what was playing out. Mm. But that, we were so incensed that day. And then, you know, just to rub, you know, salt in the wounds, I think there was that ridiculous uh, situation where Fabregas had a shot and, and Bentner, of all people, blocked it on the line. That's right. And you're thinking... Like, can it get any more ridiculous? Can it get any more painful? And and that really just set us up for the second leg where there we were. Playing the first half we were amazing. DRB ran the show. We played some of the most fantastic pass and move football. Kleb was great, Fabregas mm. was great, um, scored a really good goal, took the early lead. And, and, and it, as you say, I mean, right up to the very end, Arsenal were teasing us with the prospect of going through here. And it was, um, I mean, Theo's moment was just, I can't help but watch it and think of what happened afterwards. But that, that run was just like, I mean, I've never seen anything like it in an Arsenal shirt since. I tell you what's, what's really, I suppose, instructive about that is the fact that Theo Walcott ran from his own half, beat a whole load of players, squared it for Adi Bayor for a tap-in. And it was a tap-in. And look, fair enough, Adi Adi Bayor had to be there. But he didn't even acknowledge Walcott's contribution to that goal. He just sort of (laughs) runs off. And it's not like... It's a a classic of the like, where when you get the ball like that, the first thing you do is you run over to the guy and you point at him and go, "You, this is you. But of course, Adi Bayor is Adi Bayor and he he ran off and and did his thing. And then... I mean, Walcott definitely got his dues on the commentary because I think it was like... I don't know if it was a Clive, I think it might have been Clive Tilsley, but he was, you know, it was all over the Theo Walcott narrative. And obviously Theo had come into the season and hadn't really, you know, he'd come to the club when we were at Highbury, but Mm. he hadn't even really done that much the season before. This kind of felt a bit more of a a breakout season for him, really. And he was sort of starting to to come good. He hadn't done, he hadn't scored the the hat-trick for England against Croatia yet. That came in Mm. later in the year. But, you know, these were sort of signs that Theo might go on to become this kind of world-class player. I have to say, I mean, Adebayor was... I mean, when you look at the attacking unit that we had, Van Persie, Adebayor... A Bentner who was actually pretty decent, um, Walcott, and obviously Eduardo. I mean, it, 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 in retrospect, I mean, it was such a, a, an incredible team. There's a lot of goals in there. Mm. Um, we obviously just weren't quite, they weren't all kind of firing at the level that we, you know, eventually saw them at variously. Yeah. Um, Van Persie was, you know, Still great, injured at the time was a lot of, a lot of injuries and Eduardo obviously got the injury. Adebayor though was unplayable for a, for a period there. I mean, he scored 30 goals in this season and yeah. um, he scored them all sorts of different types of goals. I mean, he's, he's he, watching the highlights now. I look at him and I think, Arsenal would buy Adebayor now. Oh yeah, like, he's exactly the he's exactly the player that we're looking for. Yeah. You know, a guy who's both a target man, someone who can link up play, but also you know do things on his own. Um, and I know that we really dislike him as a as a guy and the way that things played out with with Arsenal. And he's obviously very bitter in his own terms. But you know, for for a little period there, he was just mm. he was just superb. Um, 
He was, and yeah. it was also the season when Thomas Rosicki, I think, missed a lot of it because of injury. This yeah. was like the knee injury. So you, if you added him to the to the mix as well, and I think part of one of the other things we should mention as we get towards the end of that particular season, because after that Liverpool game was a, a game against Manchester United, which still makes my mm. heart hurt uh, when I think about it because we were ahead and then Ronaldo scored. And then there was like an Owen Hargreaves free kick. And this was a game where I think at the very least we needed a draw, but we probably needed to win it to to maintain any kind of pace with with United and with the teams above us, um, you know, because it was right at the top of the table stuff. And, and that, that, um, that United game, yeah, that really still hurts. Um, it was, um, yeah. I mean, it was it was one of those ones where we were just about clinging on to a title sort of challenge, but going to United, we needed to to do something. Yeah, and we'd lost to Chelsea, you know, a couple of weeks before. But we just it was it was the classic kind of slightly choked. I mean, we continue to do it at Old Trafford over and over and over again. Mm. Go into games in in better form or better shape. Go into games against uh, starting 11s when you just feel like Arsenal should 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 beat United, and and fail to deliver. I mean, mm. I think on that day you know uh the anger kind of boiled over on the pitch we had something like six bookings i think in total and a whole load of those all came either side of hargreaves goal uh, sorry just before hargreaves goal just after ronaldo's goal i mean it was just it was one of those sort of dispiriting go to united lose season over kind of moments yeah. because i think the rest of the the rest of the games were that, you know, we won them all, but they, they were sort of neither here nor there by that point. You know, the damage had been done. We, it was game over. And yeah. um, unfortunately, I mean, that ended up, was it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So we had one win in eight games, um, if you include the Birmingham game. So that stretch from the 23rd of February to the 13th of April in the league, game over. I think the most painful... Um, run of Arsenal games I've, I've ever experienced in, in the league um, because there was so much hope and expectation on, you know, prior to Christmas. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, two wins in 13 from the Man United FA Cup game to the yeah. Man United um, defeated Old Trafford. And then the end of the season is a classic of the pressures of genre. Yeah. You win. So you goals, yeah, yeah. You beat Reading 2-0. Derby 6-2. 1-0. over Everton. Derby team. Like, I mean, that was the Derby team that were just the worst yeah. in Premier League history, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. everyone was scoring five or six against them. Yeah. And I mean, you look at the way the table ended up. I mean, United won it in the end. You know, they were on 87 points. We were only four points behind. Mm. Um, which was not bad, but really that was the fact that we'd, I mean, we'd lost one one game up to the up to the Birmingham, you know, I say up to the up to the Chelsea game. Really, yeah. I mean, can you imagine an Arsenal side only losing one game up to March? It's crazy. I mean, it's crazy yeah. how traumatic it was because I think we, not that I've forgotten, but like when you look at that run, it's just like, oh my god, how did we get through that? Like, how did we get through that? Um, oh. Maybe maybe it just didn't resonate as long back then you know what i mean things didn't didn't yeah i mean well, i mean it really was a, a period before i was going to say before social media it was certainly before twitter existed i mean uh, facebook was sort of just starting to take off but not in a kind of a, not as a place where football fans would go and um kind of discuss matches mm. i mean i i was 
obviously reading Arse blog, and I think the other thing that I used to go on was a site called Arsenal World, which had a message board, yeah, yeah, which I would always go on and follow and kind of keep an eye on the threads. And occasionally I'd pipe up under the nickname Colin underscore Pates, I think, after the <laughs> uh, early 90s defender. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was kind of it was it was a strange time. Um, obviously we we'd, we'd moved the stadium and it was the first season without Henri as well mm. really and um i mean i i i, I, I know it all sounds very I, i'm being kind of it was just so painful because i think there was so much there was so much good there fabregas in particular was like the centerpiece of all of that yeah. and you know at the time we had Kleb and Rosicky and um and then we did something really really strange i felt in the in the in the summer period where we started to kind of dismantle the midfield area not all of it by choice but we allowed diara to go in the january window so just before the, the that Birmingham was game. such an odd one wasn't it because he'd arrived from chelsea he wasn't playing a great deal but like gilberto was towards the end of his career flamini had the contract thing going on yeah and you wonder like could arson finger not have just said to him look just wait no. wait yeah. you can't a you can't go but b wait because I'm going to let Gilberto go probably, which I think we did that summer. And um, did Hleb go that summer as well? Mm -hmm. He went to Barcelona and Flamini left on a free transfer to to AC Milan. And it's like all of a sudden midfield is kind of empty. We went from having a very, very solid midfield. I mean, we had three deep-lying midfielders there, Flamini, Gilberto and... um, Diara. Diara and Diara, you know, he, he'd struggled for game time, but when he played, he was actually very, very good. I mean, you know, I genuinely looked at him and thought, okay, decent player here. And he, he really was a signing out of the blue. I think it was a kind of, mm. um, it was a deadline day. I may even have gone to bed and woken up and found out that we'd signed him and nobody had even <laughs> kind of realized that. Yeah. And he was a sort of blink and you miss it kind of guy because he played a few games, disappeared to, Pum- to, uh, to Portsmouth, won the FA Cup with them. And then, did he go to Real Madrid? Know, ended up at Real Madrid in some huge deal, um, and was there and quite mm. successful for a few years. Um, but yeah, we there was some there, there were some bad decisions, and actually, really, like what happened that summer was more than anything. You know, that was when you start to go, okay, what's going on here? Because we recruited Silvestre, mm. and at that point sort of alarm bells are ring. We didn't really recruit that many other players. There was Nasri came in, um, Ramsey, who obviously was young enough and coming and just played in an FA Cup final. With was Cardiff. he 17 at that point, wasn't he? I, mean, 17, I, I remember yeah. that um, Manchester United sent Gary Neville to woo him and we sent Arsene yeah. Wenger and that seemed to have done the trick. I wonder why. Yeah, they. I mean, United, I think, even may have put they something on their it. website about yeah. signing him. Yeah. yeah. And he ended up joining us. We also signed Bischoff, Amari Bischoff. Amari Bischoff, uh, yeah. Who never kind of went on to to, to do much at Arsenal, the, but the PI, did, yeah, did become a did become a regular on Arsenal. Um, but yeah, that Sylvester signing kind of I don't know for me, like that he was not a player that Arsenal fans or anybody really rated. He was a sort of lightning rod for criticism at Manchester United, and you know, given our defensive issues you were suddenly looking and thinking well why this guy yeah um you know he was he was brought in i think he was the first manchester united player to 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 join arsenal since brian kidd in 1974 
So it was an unusual move. Mm. Specifically, it sort of seemed to suggest there was a thawing of relations between Wenger and Ferguson as well. Because well, it's a practical Fergie fucking that joke. Point, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fuck. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, uh, for, for for me, like obviously, if two thousand and seven eight and the way it ended was really really disappointing, you still kind of came into oh eight oh nine feeling pretty kind of emboldened by the fact that there was a young squad who maybe could learn from what had happened and go on to sort of do something mm. a bit more, you know, a bit more considered, maybe weather the storm better than what they did. And actually, we just had a bit of a a bit of a crappy start. I say bad start. I mean, it wasn't even that bad. I mean, it, you know, we, we won four of the first five games, I think it was, but we lost to Fulham away. Mm. And then we had that game against Hull City, which... Oh. Um, yeah, I was there for that because it was the day. It was the weekend of my birthday, so I went over for that one and saw. Was it Giovanni? Yeah, yeah so Giovanni got the the equaliser with a kind of thirty yard, yeah, thirty yard screamer, and mm. then um, I think Daniel Cousin was the one who scored the header, which won it. And you know, up to that point, I think it, I think we'd only lost one game, the Emirates, which was to West Ham a couple of years before when Bobby Zamora scored, I think. And this game, just for me, like. It was a sort. It was another sort of turning point. It was a suggestion that Arsenal were not this. You know, we could be got at at home, mm. whereas previously, you know, we we didn't really lose at home at all. And um, what was annoying was that actually that game, if we'd won it, and we should have done, we could have gone top of the league. But we faltered there, and then we faltered the week after against Sunderland. You know, I think it was a Fabregas last sort of gasp header in injury time that just rescued us a point. But we were starting to make silly mistakes and the biggest one was was that Spurs 4-4 oh you know there we were sort of 4-2 up uh heading into the I think it was the 87th 88th minute Arsenal fans most of whom had already left to go and get the tube celebrating a North London derby win the Spurs fan was uh the Spurs fans was it was completely empty at their end yeah there was nobody there and I can't remember which order it was whether it was Genus or or Lennon Genus then Lennon yeah I mean, I, I sat there with my head in my hands and I, I remember watching the Spurs fans in their end just, it was like it was like someone had kicked a hornet's nest. You know, there was nobody there and yet all of the fans who were there in the Spurs end were running around like it just suddenly became this kind of mad little area of the Emirates where people were going mental and Arsenal fans were cursing, like couldn't believe it. But it was just, that was the sort of, the soft core really yeah. that suddenly we seem to have. And um, yeah, I've, I mean that, that game and then we lost to Stoke the week after, you know, you're just thinking, Oh, here we go. And we settled into this kind of pattern year after year, you know, there would be silly mistakes, hard away games where you'd expect us to kind of throw away points, mm. silly drop points at home. Um, and yet remarkably again, you know, this was a season where from November through to May, we lost one game in the league. Crazy, which seems crazy, but we drew 11 or something. One, two, you know. I mean, I know I'm venturing into whoever does 2009 there, but yeah, it was just, um, yeah, it was just, uh, it was a season of sort of silly, annoying results. And 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 at that point, I was starting to get kind of like I was starting to wonder whether or not we're actually going to be able to close the gap on on some of the other sides. Yeah. It felt like we were getting further away. I mean, there were some good results. We beat Man United in the Premier League 2-1. Yeah. Samir Nasri. Uh, that Summer was the Nasri double, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we beat Chelsea. 
away from home in the Premier League. Um, Van Persie with a, with a couple of goals. So, you yeah. know, the, the, the team was capable of of those kinds of wins. But similarly, like you say, they could draw with Middlesbrough. They could draw with Aston Villa. Um, yeah. You know, they could lose to, to Stoke. So that, that, that ability to be, um, to produce great results, but also a lot of really mediocre ones. Mm. I mean, there were a couple of big, I mean, a couple of things I kind of pulled out from this sort of start of the 08-09 season. And really it was, I mean, particularly looking from from the perspective we have now and, and the way that Arteta runs the team is is really that Arsenal Arsene Wenger fielded a side in the in the in the League Cup third round which had an average squad age of 18 and a half against Sheffield United you know that included a kind of uh, uh Nicholas Bentner being the old, one of the oldest players on the pitch at 20 but Wilshire uh Merida uh, not Fabregas because he was actually too old to be, you know, considered part of that kind of <laughs> group. But uh, you know, Carlos Vela, uh, Alex Song, uh, Johan Juru, you know, Ramsey. sort of, uh, you know, Ramsey. Uh, you know, Senderos was in and around that that group as well. I mean, it was it was really a period where we had some really very special young players, and not all of them fulfilled their potential at Arsenal, but mm. some of them did go on and have very very good careers, and and it was a you know, it was a real pleasure going and watching those kids play at that time because actually you were thinking, oh my God, like Carlos Vela, Oof. you know, Mr. Chips. Um, yeah, I mean, he scored a hat-trick in that, that Sheffield United game. He did, yeah. He scored a hat-trick in that Sheffield United game, probably um, persuading one young man out there to set up an entire website <laughs> dedicated to him. To news about Carlos Vela, yeah. I remember it well. Um, <laughs> And, you know, Theo was having a pretty decent uh, run of things at the time as well. You know, uh, and nobody could not be kind of excited by Wilshire. I mean, he'd kind of come into the side during the Emirates Cup in the mm. in the preseason, done really well against Real Madrid, but suddenly was thrown into the league game against Blackburn, I think, in September alongside Ramsey, who um, had got an assist that day. And you, suddenly you've got a 16-year-old and a 17-year-old. And I, know, I remember before Fabregas went to Barcelona, he was also talking about, you know, how good Ramsey and, and Wilshire could go on to be. And I guess Ramsey's progress was obviously stopped by the injury, but he went yeah. on to have a fabulous Arsenal career. But Wilshire likewise had, had a very good career and then kind of was plagued by injuries, which were very annoying. Um, and, and the youth thing kind of just kind of continued all the way through to the end of the year, because by the end of it, you know, in November when Fenger decided to strip Gallus of the captaincy. Um, there we were with a 21-year-old in Fabregas who was suddenly the Arsenal captain, you know, the youngest captain since uh, Tony Adams. And and he was fully deserving of it as well because he was, by that point, I think, just one of the best players in the world. Yeah. Um, he was no the, doubt about it. Yeah, also, but one of the, I guess, the senior men, when you think yeah. about who who was in the team and who you built the team around and, and where you were hoping it would go... It seemed absolutely natural that he would be captain at that point. I mean, probably ahead of schedule, you would have said, but given the circumstances, there was um, wasn't there like a team meeting? Um, we'll just finish this off, I think, um, on a happy note um, when we're talking about Gallus being stripped of the captaincy. So we'll finish this year on a, <laughs> on a high note. But wasn't there like a? A team meeting or something, or Gallas said something in the press. He 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 made some comments which made it out into the into the press, criticising 
the the team, I think. And I'm pretty certain it may have happened in an international break, but I think Wenger just finally went enough's enough and just took the captaincy off him. Yeah. Gave it to which was a big deal because Arsene was incredibly loyal to his players, you know, always. It was yeah. very, very difficult for them to, to, to kind of he would always stick by them. So to take the captaincy off a you know, a guy that he had obviously gone out of his way to to, to give it to yeah um, I just I have them here was- he said like um, he said the Arsenal dressing room was being disrupted by a player who insults us which apparently was Van Persie he said his young Arsenal teammates were not brave enough in battle says the man who sat down on the pitch and thumped the ground yeah. like a child who didn't get his lollipop. Uh, and he said, um, after the draw against Tottenham, the reason he was speaking out, there are things that can't be said and can't be tolerated, I would say, like sitting on the ground and thrashing uh, yeah, well, around it. like a I child. Mean, everything everything went back to that Birmingham game. Yeah. It, 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 it couldn't... You, it was such a, a sort of moment in time for that mm. side that they just couldn't ever really get away from its shadow. You know, Eduardo did come back, scored a few nice goals, but was never the player no. that he was. And and the and the relationship that he'd built up with uh, Adebayor was never the same. Um, we became a club that suddenly we were leaky. We, we conceded a lot of goals, mm. silly goals. You know, we, even when we were winning, you always expected us to, to, to concede and make life difficult for ourselves. We hadn't quite got to the Newcastle 4-4, but we did in 2009 sort of move into the, the Liverpool 4-4. And yeah, it was just, it was an era, I just, you know, it probably says something about my personality that when I was given the opportunity to choose any of the 20 years, I went... <laughs> I kind of deliberated. I went, could I go for the a happy time or a sad time? And I went for the most painful well, the, I could the, find. The most traumatic year, really, when you think yeah. about it, because, you know, it, it is we're talking about it now because it's it's not something we do often, really. But, you know, the the idea, I'm not saying it's something that's still affecting us, but there's no doubt that that year, that that period of that season reverberated and had a kind of ripple effect on Arsenal for, for years and years afterwards. And maybe it still hasn't fully gone away, but yeah. I, I, I for one, as a supporter, will carry the, 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 the weight and the, the disappointment and the frustration of that year around forever because we were very, very good, very, very, very capable of winning the league. Mm. That was a year when the, the three of the four Champions League finalists were were English and we went out in the in the quarterfinals it was the year when uh Manchester United beat Chelsea in Russia you know the John Terry slip year but we we could easily have been a side who 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 went on to to compete at that level mm. you know we were that we were that good on our day the problem was is that one game proved that you know everything can fall apart and mm. um and and yeah, I mean it was just it was just it was just very very difficult. I mean I know I've been quite harsh on 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 the way the oh eight oh nine side kind of went. I mean that still was a side who somehow went to the Champions League semi-finals. Um, yeah, and I kind of remember kind of at the time thinking to myself, how on earth are we here? How is this the semi-finals of the Champions League? You know, <laughs> with this lot, you know, and I mean ultimately United made easy work at the Emirates. Yeah. Um, 
Well, you're jumping but, ahead. You're jumping ahead. Yeah, That's someone I'm else's. Sorry. I've got to. I've got to. I've got to hold off. Yeah, on you've got to hold off. Well, look, the, it's very hard doing it year by year. You know, it is. I know because the natural tendency is to do it season by season. But mm. I just think you kind of. You, you, it takes the conversations in a slightly different way when you do it year yeah. by year because you're having to think about where you're starting, where you're ending up. And look, obviously, um, 2008 had um, some very, very difficult moments. But like you say, some of the football we played with a team that when you look back on it, you wonder quite how how he produced what he produced with some of those players. And I don't mean just because um, of who they are, but because of how raw and how inexperienced they were, um, you know, to, to have produced a team that was, I think, as you say, capable of of winning the title. It should have won the title that year. Um, and we didn't for, for reasons we've explained. But look, it's all in the past now, but we've dredged it all back up and uh, now we can go to bed with heartache. Um, Andrew, that was 2008. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Andrew is on Twitter at A. Allen Sport at A. Allen Sport. You'll find him mostly on Ars Blog News, but of course, he does fill in from time to time on the blog as well. Right, that's it for 2008. Loads more to come, obviously, if you're listening to these in sequential order. If this is the last one you've listened to for some reason, well, uh, thank you for getting through all 19 in a particularly haphazard way. I hope you enjoyed them all the same. We will leave it there for this one and catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.